What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 13 of the Strength Matrix podcast. My name is Josh Setledge, and I'm here to help you roll harder on the mat, train smarter in the gym so you can win more matches and get injured less. In today's episode, I'm going to be answering a few more questions from you guys. We're just going to be hanging out, kicking it a little bit, have my coffee here, so uh, you already know it's going to be a good time. But before we dive into these questions, I do want to let you know that this episode, just like every other episode, is brought to you by thestrengthmatrix.com. Thestrengthmatrix.com is your one-stop shop for all of your strength and conditioning training and educational needs as a jiu-jitsu athlete. You guys know that jiu-jitsu is a very intense combat sport. And if you didn't know, the number one thing you can be doing when you're off the mat to enhance your overall performance on the mat is going to be to get stronger. Nobody ever lost a match because they were too strong and no one ever got injured because they were too strong. Getting stronger is the number one thing that you can do when you're not at jujitsu to enhance your overall grappling performance. And the Strength Matrix is providing listeners of this podcast with a free four-week strength program. You can download that by clicking the link in the description of this podcast episode, drop it in your email, and then it'll get delivered directly to your inbox. So if you want to check out that free four-week strength program, all you got to do is click the link in the description below, submit your email, and it'll get delivered right to your inbox. Without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into these questions. Question number one from at Harleen underscore Hina. Do you find BJJ different than other martial arts? If then, how? Great question. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's different in the sense that it is a grappling focused martial art and there are striking martial arts, which are very different. There are weapons-based martial arts, which are very different. But if you look at jujitsu uh, and compare it to all the other forms of grappling, so wrestling, uh, sambo, I guess you could throw a sambo in there, um, judo. I'm trying to think of any other grappling forms of martial arts. I think that's basically it. But it's basically you have American wrestling and then international wrestling, which is you know, freestyle wrestling, Greco-Roman wrestling, there's no, the gi is not involved. Then you have judo, which is a lot of throws, and there is a little bit of grappling or nuwaza on the ground. But for the most part, it's it's a takedown-based sport. People are, the main goal is to pin your opponent or throw them on the floor. You have a, to my understanding, I believe in judo, once you get to the floor you have a brief period of time where you can look for submissions but for the most part you're trying to throw and take down your opponent and then you have sambo which i'm not familiar with the rules of sambo but it is in the gi only the top half so you only wear the jacket in the gi and you wear wrestling shoes so it's like a weird hybrid of wrestling and judo um it's a very interesting sport i've never done it but it looks pretty dope and then you have catch wrestling which is kind of like wrestling with submissions which is a little bit like jiu-jitsu but regardless what makes brazilian jiu-jitsu a little bit different than all the other ones is that it does primarily take place in the gi it is mostly focused i would say whether it was their original intentions or not brazilian jiu-jitsu nowadays is mostly character uh, characterized by grappling on the ground looking for ways to submit your opponent via strangulation or breaking of some type of joint and so that's kind of the primary differences when you look at okay what's the goal of wrestling to pin your opponent take your opponent to the ground pin them that is not the focus of jujitsu what's the focus of judo uh to my understanding 
take them down and pin them or submit them. You can also submit them. But for the most part, it's to throw them to the floor and uh, secure them on the ground. And that's not always the main intention of jiu-jitsu. So those would be the main differences. But jiu-jitsu nowadays, I mean, you look at Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's so hard to even quantify, okay, what is Brazilian jiu-jitsu and what is just jiu-jitsu? What is just submission grappling? Do we count leg locks and heel hooks as part of Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Because what if there's a Japanese guy that was popularizing leg locks? Well, okay, Brazilian jiu-jitsu did originate from Japan when Matsuyeda came to Brazil and taught it to the Gracies. So it gets a little confusing on kind of the branch of martial arts and all these different techniques and stuff. So the main difference is, is that when you look at all the martial arts, you have martial arts that are primarily striking based and martial arts that are primarily weapons based and then martial arts that are primarily grappling based. Jiu-Jitsu or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu falls within the grappling based martial arts and what makes it different amongst all the other grappling based martial arts is that the main goal is, or the main the majority of the martial art takes place on the ground with the end goal looking to submit your opponent. That'd be my answer for you. Next question from at Hayden underscore Peden8. Got any tips on what to do before a competition? It's my first one on Sunday. Nice, dude, that's freaking sick. Um, I apologize. I doubt this podcast episode is gonna get released before your competition, so best of luck to you. But if you're listening to this after the fact, this is what I would say. So before I get too deep into it, I will say that on the strengthmatrix.com, I have a full competitor's guide that gives you, I believe there's 11 different lessons for you to go through that are going to give you all the information that you need when preparing for a jujitsu competition, what weight class to, to pick, how do you know what division to go to, what your first move should be, what to pack, what kind of food should you have, how to weigh in, all that stuff. Everything is dialed in to the most minute detail on what to do uh, before a competition. So I would definitely check that out to get the full picture, but some quick tips that I'll give you uh, for your first, com- I mean, yeah, this is your first competition. Some quick tips would be go into the competition and have a game plan. Just make sure you have your first move dialed in because if it's your first competition, it's this this weird thing happens when you compete where as soon as they say kombach and they tell you to go, you just instantly forget all the techniques that you practice and train so hard and try to, try to remember as soon as the match starts. So instead of trying to remember everything all at once, just focus on your very first move. And statistically, the athlete that can fire off their first move first has a much higher chance of winning the over the winning the match as a whole. So focus on your first move. Second tip, it's kind of too late for this if you're asking within just a few days of your competition, but don't cut any weight. I don't care if you're a wrestler who's had a ton of experience cutting weight before. If it's your first jujitsu competition, do not cut weight. It's not worth it. You're already going to have some of these pre-competition jitters and you don't want to sour your experience by having all those jitters and having to manage the stress of cutting weight as well. And then my third tip for you is just remember and recognize that if winning a jujitsu match is the greatest thing that's ever happened in your life, your life freaking sucks. And if losing a jujitsu match is the absolute worst thing that's ever happened to you, your life is pretty freaking awesome. So you definitely want to 
adapt and embrace the pressure of the moment of competition, which is a good thing, but don't put so much pressure on yourself that it completely warps your entire worldview and completely warps your overall perspective on life. There's only a 1% of 1% of competitive jujitsu athletes that are actually making life-changing money where the rest of their lives are predicated on their ability to win these matches and win these tournaments. If it's your first competition, that ain't you, bro. So go into it, have a lot of fun, recognize that it's going to be a really fun learning experience, and enjoy yourself the best you can. Next question from at Molly L. Merrill. What is your favorite cheat meal? Uh, I get this question quite a bit, and usually my response is that I haven't had a cheat meal in probably six years. Shoot, six years? 2022, that'd take it all the way to 2016. No, way before that, probably even eight years, like since 2015 or 2014, I would say. I haven't had a cheat meal in a very, very, very long time. However, I have had plenty of treat meals t-r-e-a-t treat meals and the reason why i differentiate between a cheat meal and a treat meal is based on the concept of earning those treat meals the diet that i follow uh, is very specific to me and it's one that i've been following uh very strictly since 2014 or uh, i'm sorry not since 2014 since 2018 18. For the past four years, I've been following a very strict and a very particular diet and way of eating that works well for me. Now, within that, there is some flexibility for treat meals under the conditions that I've earned them. I don't think that anyone is really cheating on their diet per se. Your diet is not someone that you have a relationship with and you're not you know, dipping your toes in infidelity if you cheat on your diet. It's just, it doesn't work that way. You can cheat on yourself. You could cheat yourself. You could be undisciplined in the way that you eat. And I think that's definitely something that's a negative thing and something that you should try to avoid and develop the strength and discipline to abstain from at all costs. But there's a difference between cheating on yourself or cheating on the commitments that you've made for yourself and enjoying a meal that is not one that you would normally have, but is one that you've earned through hard work, through dis- through a, a, an accumulation of discipline, and is timed accordingly with the goals that you have. So for example, for myself at the time I'm recording this, I just finished a really, really, really long training camp for a jiu-jitsu competition that I unfortunately had to pull out of uh, during the week of because I caught uh, a widely global popular sickness that starts with a C that that I don't want uh, the bots listening in on this to pick up on. But if you catch my drift, there was a worldwide uh, cold that hit the world pretty hard for the past two years. And I caught that particular cold six days before a jujitsu competition, which meant that I can't, I couldn't compete anymore, which kind of sucks. Um, with that being said, though, I spent the last 12 to 14 weeks training really, really hard and diligently for that particular jujitsu competition. And I did not cheat on my diet at all. I stuck to the parameters that I had set for myself. I stuck to the goals, or I'm sorry, I'm stuck to the disciplines that I 
set in place that will help me get closer to my goals and I did not cheat on my diet at all. However, there were a couple points where I had earned a treat meal. I had earned the chance to deviate from my diet just a little bit within the parameters that I've set in place so that way I could enjoy a meal out with my wife or if we ordered takeout, we would you know get something and, and bring it home and, or enjoy some baked goods that my mom has made. And so I wanna be very clear that I don't view it as cheating on my diet. And if I think of it, like the last time I cheated on my diet was probably six to eight years ago. However, my diet is very particular in the sense that I do have room and I've put in room so that if I've earned it, I can enjoy a burger and fries. I can enjoy some homemade cookies that my mom or my wife makes. I can enjoy some ice cream under the conditions that it's something I've earned. Sometimes people will ask me when I work with them on a one-on-one basis and they'll say like, hey, like, when do I get a treat meal? Or when do I get a cheat meal? It's like, dog, what are you asking for a cheat meal for? We've been training for two weeks. You haven't earned the right for a cheat meal. You spent the last four to five years eating whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted. And now two weeks into it, you want to have a cheat meal? Like no freaking way, man. Like this is the commitment that you made to yourself. These are the guidelines that we work together to develop. Stick to those guidelines. If you want to have a little bit more flexibility in your diet, you can do that. But understand that you need to weigh out the pros and cons of that decision and recognize how does it help and how does it hurt you in getting closer to your goals. So for myself, my diet is pretty simple. It's very uh, vertical-ish. If you're familiar with the vertical diet from Stan Efferding, it's a lot of eggs, a lot of red meat, a lot of white rice, a lot of fruit, and a lot of coffee and yogurt. I do have yogurt quite a bit. And that's basically it. I Do I eat vegetables? Yes. When my wife bakes them for her dinner, sometimes I'll have some of those as well. Do I have, um, do I have like other things in there like oatmeal? Yes. I eat oatmeal pretty frequently. Do I have things like honey? Uh, sometimes if it's available. So it's just, it's very basic in the sense that I have a ton of white rice, a ton of red meat, a lot of, I just eat farm food. So milk, eggs, butter, red meat, rice, potatoes, oatmeal, all that stuff. And so that's the diet that I follow. And I've been following it very strictly since 2018. And within that, I allow myself a little bit of room, a little bit of wiggle room, I should say, to have a treat meal, usually like once every probably six to 12 weeks, depending on what my goals are. So at the end of a six week block of training where I trained really, really, really hard, I might enjoy some homemade cookies and some ice cream with my family. But if I haven't trained hard enough to earn that, then I'm not gonna do it because I haven't earned it. The only thing, one of my favorite quotes of all times from Coach Terry Brands is one of the coaches of the Iowa Hawkeye wrestling program. And he says, the only thing you deserve is what you earn. And that's how I feel about cheat meals and treat meals. Next question from at DP underscore zero two three underscore. Should you do mobility work before or after lifting? Great question. You should do it both. So do mobility work before you lift and then do a little bit of mobility work after you lift. For me, uh, I do mobility work a lot because I need it and it's something that is important to me and really helps me decrease my overall risk of injury and just helps me perform better in the gym and on the mat. So when I wake up, I do about five to 10 minutes of mobility work. Then when I get to the gym, 
I do another 10, 15 minutes of mobility work. And then uh, at the end of the day, well, actually, before I go to jujitsu, I do a little bit, five to 10 minutes of mobility work. And then at the end of the day, I do one 20 to 30 minute long mobility work session. And what I do on each of those sessions is going to look different depending on what I'm doing. So I'm not going to do a a ton of really long static stretches before I lift, but I might do some of those at the end of the day. I might do uh, some active mobility drills before I go to jujitsu and then maybe do like a mix of some foam rolling, a mix of some static stretching after jujitsu. So you do want to incorporate mobility work before and after your lifting and before and after your jujitsu, but the specifics of what you do can change depending on if you're doing it before or after. Next question from at B underscore Gagan. How do you feel about kettlebell only workout routine? Um, I, I mean, I don't really feel a certain way, way about it. My feelings aren't really involved, but my thoughts on it would be that, uh, kettlebell only workout routines are, can definitely work and are definitely effective, but they're limited in their effectiveness because you only have one tool. Um, if that's all you have available, just kettlebells, then you can get brutally strong, really conditioned and really explosive using kettlebells. And I've had several athletes that I've worked with in the past that really only had kettlebells and a pull-up bar or kettlebells and a jump rope. And you can get a lot of great training in there, but it is just one tool. So if you only have one tool, you are going to be limited in the amount of things that you can do with that tool. So that'd be my thoughts on that. Uh, Next question, at G underscore CQCC. He says, hi, great page. Thank you. And his question is, could I ask how much sleep you try and get, please? Yeah, great question. So this, I, it tends to vary on how much sleep I shoot for each night, but on average, it's between six and eight hours. So some nights I'm getting closer to six hours of sleep. Other nights, like on the weekends, I don't even set an alarm. I just try to get as much sleep as possible. And that's usually around seven and a half to eight hours. That's what I shoot for. Um, sleep is massively important and it's the number one thing that can help you with your recovery. So at the end, the way I look at it is on the days where I don't have to get up early, uh, especially on the weekends, I try to not, I try to sleep as much as possible, as much as possible. And on the days where I do have to get up early, I set an alarm and I just get up when it's time to get up. And sometimes that means that during the week, I may get one night that's seven hours, another night that's six, another night that's closer to eight, another night that's six and a half. And that's just, it is what it is. It's it's part of life. But at the end of the week on those weekend days, Saturday and Sunday, I make sure to try to not really set an alarm, not plan anything too early in the morning. That way I can just sleep until my body naturally wakes up. Next question, at Blaka the Grappler. Should I still compete if I'm stressed through life at the moment? Man, that's a that's a really that's a really good question, um, and it ties into a lot of my own story and a lot of uh, a lot of things that I'm passionate passionate about. Um, so, should you still compete if you're stressed out through life? Yes, I believe so. Um, the re- the main reason being is if you signed up for a competition and you made a commitment to compete 
it is your responsibility and your duty to honor that commitment and follow through on it. One of the most gut-wrenching quotes I've ever heard, and is something that I try to live by, is from my uh, friend and mentor, Mark Bell. And he said, cowards will talk about what they will never do. And that is very, that pierces really deep into my soul a lot of the times, because I know that there are times in my life in the past and in the present. And unfortunately, I'm human. So I know there's going to be times in the future. Well, I will talk about something that I won't do. And I hate that idea. I hate it so much. The, the idea that if I say I'm going to do something and I don't follow through on that, that makes me a coward. And whether it's a relationship in business, a commitment I make to my wife on something or with a friend, a commitment that I make uh, in training, or in this instance, to compete in something. If you talk about something and you don't do it, that's the sign of a coward. And if you make a commitment to yourself, if you make a commitment to some, to another person, if you make a commitment, it, regardless of what kind of commitment it is, as a man, it is your responsibility to uphold that commitment. Now, I think the main reason why people don't follow through on their commitments is one of two reasons. Either they're liars or they're lazy. And so things in life are going to push you and pull you and try to deter you from everything going perfect. And it's going to be hard. Life is freaking hard. And that's just the way it is. And either you could accept and push through those adversities and stick to those commitments, or you can choose to be either a liar and you're talking about things that you're never going to do. You are lying to people when you make commitments to them and not following through on them, or you can choose to be lazy. You can choose to be a liar in the sense of like, hey, I'm telling you that I'm making this commitment, but I have no intentions of following through on it, so I'm just lying to your face right now. And there's no respect for liars. Or you can choose to be lazy and say, oh, I had the best intentions to follow through on that commitment that I made, but I'm just lazy. So I'm not going to follow through on it because I don't feel like doing it. And nobody respects lazy people either. And so when we talk about competing and if the way I view it, and I view this very strongly, if you sign up for a competition, it's your responsibility to honor that commitment and compete in it within reason, right? I just gave an example where I signed up for a competition. I got the uh, the vid and I'm, I tested positive. I can't compete. That is, that's a different story. If you are prepping for a competition and you break your ankle, okay, that's a different story. You got injured. We're not, ta- I'm not talking about those cases. I'm not talking about the instances where a family emergency comes up and you need to be with a child in the hospital during the time that you're competing. That is completely different. Outside of those things, we're talking about you know normal life stressors and circumstances that come up. And I want to give a very real and personal example of this from my own life. Uh, in 2016, I signed up for a bodybuilding show. And in 2016, I was a full-time college student working three different jobs, and I signed up for a bodybuilding show. And these guys at the gym that had uh, encouraged me to sign up for it, they're like, dude, like you look great, man. Like you should sign up for a bodybuilding show. And I'd always wanted to because I was a huge fan and still am an enormous fan of the sport of bodybuilding. I grew up watching Pumping Iron. I read as many books about Arnold Schwarzenegger and articles online about training. When I was working at the gym at the front desk, 
I would uh, use the computer to go online and read as many training articles as I could and just soak up as much information as I could about the sport and and art of bodybuilding. It's an amazing thing, and I, I still love bodybuilding. And so I was training at this gym in 2016, and in April, um, everyone was telling me, not everyone, but the guys, we'll just call them the guys, you know, every gym has the the guys, and these guys are saying like, hey, Jay, you, bro, you got to compete in this show, man, They, it's perfect, you can sign up, it's in, uh, it's at the end of August, so you can get shredded over the summer, get in great shape, and, and do it, we're all doing it, you should do it, and it was really exciting, and it sounded fun, and I was like, what, like, bodybuilding, man, like, whew, Maybe I should do it. I got all fired up and excited. And I was like, you know what? I am going to do it. I signed up for it. So, you know, I, I sign up and I tell the guys like, hey, Anthony, hey, Eric, hey, Mike, I signed up for the bodybuilding show. And they're like, no freaking way, man. That's awesome. All right. Now let's get to training, you know. And every day that they would come into the gym because I worked the front desk, they would ask me about it, like, how's prep going, dude? How, what's your diet like? What's your training split? And so they were really encouraging and supportive in that. Now, like I mentioned at the beginning, I during this time in my life, I was a full-time student taking a full course load, and I was working three different jobs to support myself and pay my bills. So needless to say, life was very, very, very busy and very, very stressful. Uh, on top of that, one of those jobs working at this one particular gym was hands down the worst freaking job I ever had in my entire life. It was incredibly stressful. Uh, the environment there and the leadership that just without getting too much into it, this job freaking sucked. And I hated almost everybody that I, that I worked with. And it was just, it was a rough time. And to say that things were stressful uh, during that time would be very accurate. And there was a part of me that didn't want to do the bodybuilding show anymore. Uh, there was, I prepped for a total of 12 weeks and around the halfway point, I was so close to quitting and I was so close to canceling my registration and canceling, you know, my membership card for this bodybuilding organization and just saying like, you know what, like I'll just keep training like I am going to compete, but I'm not actually going to do it. And I almost did it. And the way these bodybuilding shows work is they're super freaking expensive. You have to pay for a membership uh, to the organization. You have to pay for to register for the event. You got to pay for this special tan so you can look, you know, all jacked and tan on stage. You got to pay for these special board shorts. It's in some fancy ass hotel in, in Tahoe. So you got to pay for that. You got to pay for all the food. You got to pay for all the, like just all this extra stuff. And so at the end of the day, just to compete, it was close to $500, I'd say, uh, the cost of competing. And $500 for a broke college student who was working three jobs to get by and going to school full time, 500 bucks is a lot of money. And I was, I almost quit and it didn't, I didn't even care anymore about the money. I was like, man, like I just don't want to do this. This training is hard. This diet is hard. Doing cardio five days a week is hard. I don't even care that I'm losing 500 bucks. If I quit, I think I'm going to quit. And I, I, I can't even begin to explain how freaking close I was to quitting. But the thing that kept me from quitting, the thing that kept me from clicking that button that says pull my name out from this competition was the thought of what I would have to say to all those guys at the gym that encouraged me and hyped me up and motivated me to sign up for the competition in the first place. What would I tell them? 
I, I thought like, well, I could tell them like, oh, you know, it's actually not going to work out with my work schedule. But that was a lie. Um, oh, I, it's just um, uh, I, I have some school stuff going on. That's a freaking lie. Uh, I got uh, things with like work at the gym just are, are too busy, right? Nope, that's a lie. Everything that I wanted to tell them was a lie. It was a lie to them and it was a lie to myself. And then I came to the realization that, well, I'm not a liar. I feel very strongly about my convic- convictions about not lying. So I need to be honest and tell them that if I quit, it's because I'm lazy and I don't want to work hard and I'm afraid of hard work during stressful times in life. And as soon as I thought about that, I, I realized like, you know what? I, I, I can't. I can't quit. I refuse to quit. As stressful as things are right now, as hard as training is, as annoying as all these freaking people are at this place that I was working at, at one of those three jobs, I can't quit because the thing that's going to hurt worse is me having to go to all those guys that believed in me and encouraged me and hyped me up. And they said, oh, we thought you were about it, bro. We thought that you were down for the cause. We thought that you were down to compete, but I guess not. And I don't, those guys were nice enough where they wouldn't have called me out on it to my face like this. But in their in their heads, if I did say that, I'd imagine they're thinking, this guy's a freaking liar and he's lazy. And I can't stand the thought of being someone like that. And so I, I, sh- and I share that with you to ultimately come to the end of the story and say that I finished training for this bodybuilding show. I went to the bodybuilding show and it was the great, one of the greatest experiences of my entire life. There have been very few moments in my life that have been as fun as competing in that bodybuilding show. And ultimately it paid off. It was my first bodybuilding show ever. I competed in the teenage division and I ended up taking third place uh, in men's physique, which is the division where you wear the, the board shorts. You don't have to wear the banana hammock. And to take third place in a competition that I was so close to quitting, it, 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 it just taught me a lifelong lesson that if you sign up for something, if it's a competition, you damn well better compete in it. And that's your commitment and you keep that commitment to yourself and you keep that commitment to the people around you that support you and believed in you during that entire process. So to answer your question, man, uh, Blocka, I I hear you, bro. Life is hard. Life is going to be stressful. Life is going to push you and pull you and try to deter you from achieving great things. But if you made a if you made a commitment to compete, that's your responsibility and your duty to do so. Because remember, cowards will talk about what they will never do, and the only reason why people quit on their commitments is because they're either liars or they're lazy. Next question from at Mika underscore freaking underscore Merrill. Nice name. Um, his question is, "What is your favorite fruit?" I freaking love fruit, man. Vegetables are whack. They taste weird, except potatoes. I do like potatoes. I do like cauliflower too, and bell peppers. So those are those are only fruit or uh, vegetables I really like. But let me tell you, fruit. I freaking love fruit, and my favorite fruit of all time is definitely watermelon. There have been several accounts where I've cut a watermelon in half and I've eaten the whole half of watermelon over the course of just a few hours. I love watermelon. My wife loves watermelon, so we make a we make like a a fruit salad that contains watermelon as often as we can over the summer, putting in watermelon and pineapple and strawberries and blueberries. And uh, sometimes we'll put bananas in there too, but I freaking love watermelon. Next question at Rizzodino or Dean Yo. There's a 
R-I-Z-O-D-I-N-H-O. So I think that's a Brazilian Dinho. Anyway, question is, two-stripe white belt heading to a new gym. Should I remove my stripes? Uh, that's I would say just ask the instructor or the owner of the gym. Um, no offense, but you're a two-stripe white belt, so your stripes don't matter that much anyway. <laughs> so it's not like you're a, a, a multiple-degree black belt moving to a new gym or new organization. You're a white belt, and you're going to spend the least amount of time at white belt anyway, just as long as you continue training. So I want to get too caught up about stripes. I want to get too uh, caught up and like, oh, should I keep them? Should I remove them? If you're going to a new gym, I would just say out of respect for whoever the instructor is, just say like, hey, I have stripes. I don't know if you guys do stripes. Do I need to cut these off or how does that work? They're going to be more than happy or should be more than happy to accommodate you and, and welcome you to the new gym. And um, I will say this, the place that I trained at, the place that I first started training at, um, training jujitsu at, I didn't have a white belt. I just had an orange belt uh, from when I was doing martial arts as a kid, like way, 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 way back in the day. And so I just showed up and was like, look, I don't have a white belt. I know it's supposed to be white. All I have is this orange belt. Doesn't really matter. And the classes were so small. They're like, no, it, it doesn't matter. You're, you're fine. It, everyone knows you're a white belt anyway. So it's all good. And then uh, once I did have a white belt, or no, once I, I ended up did actually getting a real white belt when I ordered a new gi and then I switched schools while I was still a white belt and I moved to a different school and at this new school there were some other white belts and blue belts that had uh, moved from out of town and their schools that they came from had stripes but this new school at Casio's that I was at and I'm currently still at today at Casio's we don't do stripes you just get promoted to the next belt and Casio didn't really care he's like oh you can keep the stripes on him if you want but I mean we don't do stripes here, so you're not getting any more stripes, uh, but I'm not going to make you cut them off. So I would just ask the head instructor or whoever the owner is of, of the school. They'll be able to clarify that for you, man. Last question uh, from at Hanain, H-A-N-N-A-I-N. His question is, what form of cardio would you recommend to supplement and improve BJJ? Awesome question. First things first, the best form of conditioning for jujitsu is to actually do more jujitsu. That being said, there are some things that you want to consider and think about when getting in some extra conditioning work for jujitsu. Your jujitsu training, most of that is going to be your lower intensity, longer duration form of conditioning. Yes, you may have some really intense training rounds that may be really hard and maybe really tired but you're not doing sprints at jujitsu. You are not doing an all out max effort sprint for 10 seconds and then having a full two minute rest. You're doing quick bouts of explosive movements, but you're still moving, they're still kind of moving the entire time. And that's over the course of an hour or a 90 minute jujitsu class. So when you're looking to improve your conditioning for jujitsu, because you're getting that long format, lower intensity conditioning in your actual jujitsu training, it'd be most efficient if while you're outside of jujitsu to focus on the shorter duration, higher intensity sprint intervals, which are going to help contribute to improving your overall conditioning on the mat. So an easy format that I like to use is six rounds of 15 seconds on 45 seconds off. So you basically can, you can do this on the salt bike, echo bike, skier, concept two rower, uh, stadium sprints, sled drags, 
uh, prowler pushes, whatever form of conditioning you want to use, and you just go buck wild hard in the paint for 15 seconds, and then you rest a complete rest. Don't do anything. Just focus on nasal breathing for 45 seconds. That was what I would do to supplement and improve jujitsu specific conditioning outside of jujitsu. And that's it. That's all the questions for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Strength Matrix Podcast. My name is Joshua Setledge. You guys can follow me on Instagram at Joshua Setledge. And if you guys have uh, found value in this podcast and have gotten some good tidbits of information and enjoyed listening to this podcast episode, I would massively appreciate it if you guys screenshot this episode and share it on your social media. Maybe send it to a few training partners if you believe that they will find it valuable as well. And I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll catch you guys later. Peace.